The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. You know, Grant's been sharing with us all the Christmas season, the unexpected. And uh, he has been picking different ones out of the lineage of Christ and saying, well, what are they doing in the king's family? I mean, the Messiah, the Savior, the greatest one ever, what are this, these bunch of losers doing in the lineup? I mean, you know, as he said, God could have picked anybody, and so you would have thought that God would have had this pedigree picked out for Jesus that was beyond reproach that anybody would have looked at and said, wow, that's got to be him because uh, nobody else has that uh, lineage of uh, and background uh, uh, and bloodlines and so forth. But no, Jesus was just made up of ordinary, everyday people. Uh, and actually, in my mind, the least expected in there is one that the lineage goes back to, and that's David. Israel had demanded a king. They were living under a series of judges. And uh, the common theme in the book of Judges is that Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and God delivered them to the hand of the Philistines for X somebody years. And then uh, there was always somebody God raised up. Uh, different, uh, one of the judges that God raised up and the people said, no, 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 this isn't working. We're fragmented, we're not we're not a very strong nation. We're not a very powerful people. We need a king like all the nations around us. Well, God didn't want them to have an earthly king because they had a heavenly king. They had God the Father. They were supposed to be under theocratic authority, under God authority. But they kept on and kept on, so God gave them a king, Saul. Now, Saul was a kingly king. At his coronation, the Bible said he stood head and shoulder above everyone else in Israel. Now, Jews aren't the, probably the, the tallest uh, populace on the planet, but, uh, man, you got to think that 5'10", 5'9", you know, uh, was going to be at average. And so uh, a head and shoulder above that, you're going on up there with a pretty good-sized guy. He was kingly. He was a warrior. He was strong. He was powerful, and he was kingly. The only problem was he got proud of that, got arrogant about that, turned away from God, and God rejected him. So there's a prophet named Samuel, and God goes and tells Samuel that he has chosen another king to replace Saul. And he's to go to Bethlehem, to Jesse's house, and there he will find a king among the sons of Jesse. So uh, Samuel goes uh, uh, he's afraid because he's afraid Saul's going to find out about it and whack his head off. So they did a ruse of, of uh, having a, a sacrifice and the boys would come and Jesse would come and there uh, uh, Samuel would find the king. But he went through all the sons of Jesse, started with the biggest and the most strapling, the oldest, and 
No, God said that wasn't him, the next one and the next one. In fact, we pick up in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And verse 10 says, Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he went and sent and brought in, uh, brought him in, and uh, he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him. This is the one. Now, actually, if you do a little work on that in the original language, you come back to find out that he's red-headed, blue-eyed, and light-skinned. How many Jewish folk you know? Red-headed, blue-eyed, and light-skinned. That's the reason his daddy never invited him to the picking. His daddy was fairly sure that if out of all of his sons, there's no way, no way in thunder, David, and besides that, he plays like a flute, and he writes poetry. I mean, what kind of king is this? What kind of, you know, and Jesse said, I'm ashamed of him. The whole country would be ashamed of him. How can this be? But, of course, all that soon went away because uh, right after that he killed Goliath and all of a sudden he was the hero and, and Saul was jealous and wanted to kill him and this and the other. So we fast forward. We fast forward. David is king. And we open our Bibles to uh, second Samuel chapter 9. You remember David and Saul's son Jonathan were great friends. Jonathan and David had a special relationship. They were more like brothers than they were friends. And they served together. They worked together together. Uh, Jonathan warned him when dad was on the warpath to kill him. And, uh, but David had promised Jonathan that when I come into the kingdom, I will spare you and your family. I will spare you and your family. But tragedy struck before then. Saul uh, and Jonathan went to war against the Gibeonites and the Gibeonites killed both Saul and uh, Jonathan and their bodies were nailed on the gate at Bet-Shean and uh, they were there that David and his men came and rescued their bodies and, and gave them proper tending to and the country was decimated and in shambles. The Gibeonites were uh, uh, raging and, and, and running things 
And eventually David was able to drag together the entire kingdom, both the southern portion and the northern portion, and he was recognized as king of all Israel, and he reestablished authority of God in uh, the land of Israel. And so somewhere in the process of getting all this put together and getting his house in order, he thought in verse 1 of chapter 9, 2 Samuel, David said, Is there yet any that's left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, David's at rule. He's uh, uh, in his palace. They found uh, David's palace. Uh, south of the of the temple site uh, in uh, the city of David, they, they knew, but they finally were able to excavate. And uh, I feel like David and I are pretty close. I went to his bathroom. I saw his toilet. You didn't seem to appreciate that. I went to the bathroom Trump Tower too. So there, but. But uh, David had this, and the reason they knew it belonged to David is a massive house, massive banquet room, and it was the only house in the whole compound that would have had a toilet with running water. That's where that fit in. Only the richest of the rich or the famous of the famous were able to claim that they had a toilet. But anyway, long story short, David's there in the palace. His family's all around him. Things are going really good now. And he remembers that he had made a promise to Jonathan that I will take care of you and your descendants. So he says, is there any left? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they called him unto David, and the king said to him, Art thou Zeban? He said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God to him? And Zeba said to the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Zeba said to the king, Behold, he's in the house of Machir, and uh, the son of Emel, uh, down at Lobar. And the king and King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lobar. Now, when Mephibosheth, that's this boy's name, I said it one time correctly. From now on, anything goes. <laughs> but it's Mephibosheth. Sheth. So, Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, and he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said to Meshibaseth, Sheth, I told you, uh, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said to him, Fear not, I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. And I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. Thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself why or what is thy servant that thou should look upon such a dead dog as I am? Now, why did Shebatheth say that? Well, what happens to the descendants of most kings when a rival king takes over? They are all wiped out. 
In fact, if you'll remember King Herod, who ended up wiping out the little babies of Bethlehem, he had also done so with his mother, uh, a sister, and some nieces and nephew because he got wind they were, they were after his kingdom. So it was very common and it wasn't unusual and apparently because of the uh, Gibbonites and maybe even some of David's own distant followers, nobody was left but Mephibosheth. What happened was when the battle started with the Gibbonites, Mephibosheth was five years old and his nanny picked him up out of the tent and ran away from the Gibbonites. But she dropped him and broke both of his legs. And because none of his family remained and doctrine wasn't what it is now, they weren't able to set those legs back. And for the rest of his life, he was lame. He walked on crutches and drug his feet. And now David has remembered. David has found him. I'm pretty sure when Mephibosheth found out David wanted him, he figured he wanted him to cut his head off. But nonetheless, after he brought him to the palace and assured him that he was going to give him back his father's lands, he was giving him servants to farm his father's lands with, and that he himself, though, would live in the palace and be cared for and eat every day at the king's table. He was then assured, and that's when he said, he said, man, I, I felt like I was a dead dog, <laughs> and, and why have you looked so mercifully on me? And he said, because of your father Jonathan's sake. Here's what we discover, folks. We, def we find out there were two people shouldn't have been at the table. The first one was at the head of the table, David. God was just gracious and took a nobody and made somebody very special out of him. And he was be the beginning of the, the promise. You remember Abraham was promised that the Jews would always be a people and have a land. But David was promised there would be an eternal kingdom. And Jesus is the eternal king of the lineage of David. So a very special person, this David. But he also, for us, is a type of Christ. And you preached a couple of, uh, about four weeks ago, about room at the table, Grant. And it's kind of what got me thinking about this whole thing. You think about who was at the table at David's house. The beautiful Bathsheba. Solomon, and Solomon followed in his dad's footsteps and became the richest, and according to the Bible, he was the richest and most prosperous king up and until that time. And that included all the kings of the Pharaohs. Because Saul was after the, I mean, Jonathan was, uh, Solomon was after the Pharaohs. So you know how rich Egypt was. The Bible specifically says Solomon was richer than all of the, king, all of the kings that ever came before him in all the earth. 
Solomon was somebody to be reckoned with. Absalom, you remember Absalom? Absalom rebelled against David, but he must have had pretty hair because he had enough of it that he got hung up in the bow of a tree. He was riding a horse and ran up under a tree limb and the horse ran out from under him and left him hanging in the tree by his hair. And in rebellion, Joab killed him. And one of the most lamentable cries in the Bible is David crying for Absalom. Absalom, 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 my son, Absalom. But Absalom was there, the sisters were there, the other brothers were there, and they would all come to eat at the big table in the banquet hall at David's table. And you would hear coming down the hallway, clump, shh, clump, shh, clump, shh, clump, shh, clump. And awkwardly, Mephibosheth would make his way to the table. Didn't belong there, but he was invited there. And mercy and grace put him there. And he took his seat at the table of King David. And he lived as a king's kid. Now, the fulfillment of the David story is Jesus. Jesus is the eternal king. And he keeps welcoming at his table those of us who don't belong. Those of us who are crippled in heart, crippled in mind, crippled in spirit, age, disease, finance, everybody eventually is broken. You came broken, you've made yourself, you know, but that's only because it's going good for you right now. Sooner or later, some type of pain, some type of tragedy, some type of heartache hits everybody. But you're welcome at the king's table. He died for you. He loves you. And he accepts you at the king's table because of his oath. Whosoever believeth in me should not perish but have everlasting life. He made an oath. Whosoever believeth in me should not perish but have everlasting life. If your feet, crippled as they may be, are not under the king's table yet, the invitation's for you. If you've gotten confused and lost your way and you find that your feet are no longer under the king's table, the invitation's for you. He welcomes you back at any moment. Actually, in this story, when David had to leave the country because of Absalom's rebellion, you remember that Ziba guy, the guy that said that Mephibosheth lived? He told a lie and said that Mephibosheth had turned against David and was preparing to set up his own kingdom. And David went to find him. 
And Methuselah said, no, I didn't do that. He lied. Why would I turn on you? You're my benefactor. And David's heart discovered the truth. Now, Ziba paid for it. <laughs> but uh, Methibosheth was still welcomed at the table. Do you understand? That is an invitation to come to the table and the invitation is endless. It's open from now on. Whosoever believeth in me should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. He wants you. You're a part of his family. He's collecting his family. He collects strangers. He collects the outsiders. He collects those that come to him. And you have a chance today to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, to refresh and recommit yourself to Jesus Christ, follow after him. And there may be others that have been in the, uh, the baptisms. They may have witnessed and seen the last couple of weeks what God's doing. You know yourself. You've got some decisions that God wants you to make positively for his sake. Grant and I'll be down here. Our guys are coming to uh, lead us in a, in a song. But I'm going to pray with you. I want you to stand quietly after we pray. And as we worship, you let God speak to you. You let God own your invitation. Grant will be here. I'll be here. You don't have to come to us. The, the girls, Lyndon and Angela on the front row, and we've got all kinds of elders around that will have prayer and, and talk to you and love you and women's ministry leaders and so forth. So, Lord, I pray right now, whatever the need is, they'll hear clearly the invitation. Jesus said, whosoever, anybody, anywhere, anytime, who calls on me shall not perish. They won't be turned away. They won't be pushed aside. They will not perish but receive everlasting life. You can put your feet under Daddy God's table through the invitation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He loves you and is calling you today. I ask that you respond. You come as God leads. That may be just to the front to pray. You may want to express a a decision, you may want to stand around afterwards and chit-chat with one of us. But however the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart, you respond to that positively, obediently today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.